Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk a little about wheat seed treatments. And also we're going to get to some of your emails in the Ag PhD mailbag. Uh, so today uh, I am finally back in the in the Morton studio here. And I've been traveling for the last oh, over a week now. Lots of travel. And, you know, one of the big things I I guess I would say with this year, there's just a lot of frustration overall, but we got to continue to stay positive and really be focused on, hey, let's finish this crop up well, and let's get next year's crop to be as good as it can possibly be. And so that's why we wanted to talk about wheat seed treatments here with wheat just as a crop in general. If you think about all the things that have been done in terms of corn and soybean breeding, um, maybe wheat hasn't kept up quite so much um, on the breeding side, but the varieties continue to get better. But I don't care if we're talking corn or soybeans or wheat. If we don't get that crop off to a good start, it's not going to turn out as well. And a lot of people may think, well, boy, if it's winter wheat, I'm going to plant in in the late summer. The soil's already going to be warm. Uh, that crop should pop out of the ground pretty quick. Does a seed treatment really pay? But what I continue to re- try to remind people is, I, I almost I wish there was a different name for these seed treatments, Darren, because, yep, it does protect the seed, but it protects the seedling and the young plant for as long as a month or two. And that's the most critical time in the life of any plant. I look at a couple of things, Brian. I think about early vigor and when we can protect the seed from any kind of disease that's going to take away some energy of that seed or seedling to try to fight off. Now, all of a sudden, if you don't have anything to fight off, all you have to do is grow. You've got a little more vigor out there, and we notice that in fields. We we talk to farmers everywhere that say, "Man, I, I had this this seed that I planted was much more vigorous than this other seed." And a lot of times, it does come down to a seed treatment difference. The other thing is early root development, and when we look at a lot of the trial work, Brian, especially with some of these microbial treatments now, we're noticing much more aggressive root hair development and you can just see it as you dig these plants up it's like wow how does that happen it's significantly more and it's not like for the entire life of that plant you're just in big trouble if you don't do it but boy when it makes a big difference early now all of a sudden your plant gets a little bit ahead maybe it's one growth stage ahead Uh, we noticed this year when we had some storms come through uh, and we noticed there were there were different, uh, like in corn, for example, plants that were just another stage or two ahead and were were safe, where where others that were a little little bit behind were much more susceptible and at risk of of snapping or or of lodging or those types of things. So in wheat, it's kind of the same thing. Here we go. If we're talking winter wheat, we've got to have winter survival. How do you ensure better winter survival? Well, you have good fertility and you have good early vigor and development. If we get more of a root system developed, if we get a more vigorous plant, we're ready for the tough conditions that we know are going to come with winter. So when you start talking about these seed treatments, the things that we often discuss with people, it's fungicide, it's insecticide, and then it's 
this other realm. We'll call it the biological or natural side of things. Let's start with the fungicide, Darren. I mean, we've seen a lot of new fungicides come out in the last few years, and probably the number one thing I would say to you is use multiple fungicides when you use any seed treatment. I don't care if it's corn, soybeans, wheat, whatever. Multiple fungicides gives you the best chance to avoid resistance issues and the best chance to have good efficacy. I remember when stamina came out and wow, what a difference was that. And the active ingredient there is F500, which is the active ingredient in Headline. And really popular fungicide, really worked well. We saw a nice boost in plant health. We saw really good disease control, those kinds of things. But look at what's happened with that chemistry, with the the strobiliarin chemistry. We're seeing resistance out there with so many different diseases, like in soybeans right now, frog eye leaf spot uh, and septoria brown spot, two of the biggest diseases we're fighting. Well, it's no longer effective on them. So what what's happened in wheat? Well, we're starting to see the same kind of thing. Like you mentioned, Brian, we're, we're seeing a little bit of erosion in control when we're using those single mode of action products. We just don't want that to happen, especially when you're putting a seed treatment out. It's not like you can come back and spray another foliar to fix things. If you've got a seed or seedling attacking disease, you got to either have it on the seed or you just aren't going to have any protection. So we're looking at multiple mode of action products. You're seeing lots of them in the industry. You're seeing other really strong triazole type products going into these seed treatments. You're seeing some SDHIs. You're seeing some other classes of chemistry as well. I think it's great that we get multiple modes of action out there. It's just going to make these products more effective, longer lasting, and also pick up a little wider spectrum of disease. We've seen some major upgrades in control on things like Pythium and Rhizactonia in recent years. And yeah, the only way you're going to get that stuff is to, to, to use something decent. Now, Brian, you mentioned before that, that a lot of wheat farmers look at it and say, well, in this situation, I might use the seed treatment. In this situation, I don't. I don't know of another major crop that has more problems with not getting seed treatment on than, than wheat. I, I can't even tell you how many fields that I've gone to of wheat that, oh man, there's some problem and we're looking at above ground symptoms and we start digging up roots and I'm like, well, wait a second. Did you put a seed treatment on? Well, no. And well, how much did the seed treatment cost? Well, it was like two dollars. So for two dollars, we're gonna we're gonna risk our whole well, crop. Well, yeah, here? but hold up. I, I mean, if you start talking one of the good seed treatment packages all in all together, you're gonna spend a little bit more money than that. Uh, we, if you get multiple fungicides, we really encourage you to get an insecticide on there. If you've got major wireworm problems, you can always bump the rate if you needed to, and then take a look at the the biological thing. Uh, we've over the years had a lot of people using products like Quickrits and NutriCycle, uh, now Heat Shield. I mean, there are a lot of good biologicals out there that we'd encourage you to at least be trying. So we're going to talk about those things today, just weed seed, wheat seed treatments in general. We'll get right back to this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. 
featuring Extendamax herbicide with VaporGrip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra Herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra Herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Talking about wheat seed treatments, and really this is one of those early keys to get your crop off to a great start. Uh, happy to have David Bellis with us right now with Syngenta. David, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on the program. All right, so we're talking wheat seed treatments, and uh, it's been interesting. We've we've talked a lot about some of the upgrades and changes that have happened in corn and in soybeans and other crops, and and here we go. It's closing in on uh, winter wheat seeding timing here. So, what's happening with wheat? What are some of the things growers should be looking for this year? There's a lot of things happening. Uh, we have, uh, of course. Some of the crops getting out a little bit later this year because some of them were, were planted later. Uh, we have uh, a lot of people trying to decide what they're going to plant in terms of, of wheat this year. And uh, there'll be a lot of uh, interest in trying to make sure that the best seed treatments are on the seed um, and the most cost-effective seed treatments that are really going to provide a good potential stand establishment going into the fall uh, it's been a difficult year for a lot of growers, I know, and uh, we want to make sure that they're um, able to access the best seed treatments for their fall seed. Yeah, absolutely. You think about all these wet fields out there, and I know growers are saying as they're digging around too, they're seeing a lot of activity with wireworms and some of these other bugs. I, I mean, to me, the insecticide piece is going to be interesting. Well, what are you seeing with this? In some areas of the country, we're having such an issue with the wireworms. Uh, we've got growers that are talking about putting on more cruiser or, or more insecticide on the seed. Are you seeing that trend as well? Yes, we are seeing that trend. The wireworms seem to be increasing in their populations uh, throughout the northern tier of the growing area where where the grasslands and, and the native uh, areas where the wireworms 
are are native to those areas, and uh, to be able to control those at this time, additional cruiser is recommended. For example, in our Cruiser Max Vibrant Serials uh, program, you can get add additional cruiser 5FS to that to increase the wireworm uh, control, and that is something that we recommend if you do have uh, heavy wireworm pressure. Now, you mentioned vibrance, and this is one that really caught the industry um, um, and and created a stir out there because we've noticed some serious differences when we've added that vibrance component into the seed treatment. Can you talk about that a little bit and what you're really targeting with, with that portion of the seed treatment? The vibrance uh, product is a uh, rhizoctonia specialist, and it is excellent on rhizoctonia. Uh, really, it, it helps with defending the roots against that specific disease, but it also has uh, benefits to boost the rooting power. Uh, it has some unique uh, chemical properties that help it uh, move into the soil just enough to provide a zone of protection around around the seed and be able to protect those roots from the diseases that are, are attacking it. And uh, we've really seen a benefit of adding the vibrance uh, product to our to our premixtures. Now Brian was talking a little bit uh, earlier in the show about all right we've got some wet fields and I think most growers get it that we're going to have some additional pressure there but we have some disease pressure in wheat growing areas that even don't get much moisture. Uh, what kind of diseases are we looking for in that drier soil and and what part of the the seed treatment package is really critical for us to have there? Right, so in some drier locations, you can get some rhizoctonia as well as fusarium. Fusarium can be a problem in some drier soil conditions. And the active ingredient in our mixtures is the old dividend product or diphenaconazole, which we have included in our Cruiser Max Vibrant Cereal package or a Vibrance Extreme package. Yeah, it's it's just interesting. We've got uh, some growers, I'm sure, that'll be calling into the show today too, talking about the the dry conditions and the wet conditions, and like you had mentioned earlier, just the increased pressure we're seeing from insects like wireworms. There's a lot of stuff to to protect our seed from. That's uh, one of the big reasons Brian and I wanted to talk wheat seed treatments today as we we head into this fall. Hey, David, thank you so much. We've, we've been talking with David Bellis with Syngenta. Uh, Dave, really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thank you. Let's head out to uh, South Dakota. We've got our friend Lee Lubers on with us. And uh, for many of you guys, you probably remember if you're at the Ag PhD Field Day speaking with Lee or listening to, to him talking about uh, what's going on in his farm and what you can do to raise better yields. Lee, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. You know, when you think about seed treatments in wheat, there's been a lot of changes there. And, and uh, I made a comment earlier. I was, I was like, oh, boy, it's so inexpensive. And Brand's like, well, hold on now. Uh, maybe if you just did a base fungicide, it's it's really inexpensive. But we're adding a few more components here, so there's a little bit more to it. But when you look at seed treatments for wheat, what are you looking for? What components are, are you really trying to, to have out there to have a successful crop? Uh, the whole package. Uh we learned years ago, I mean, well, uh, with technology and science, we have uh, so much better seed treatments than what we had 20, 25 years ago. And we can uh, help defend against uh, more disease and pest issues than we ever could before. Uh, we don't believe in cutting any corners. Uh, we will not plant 
bear's heat. We refuse to do it. Uh, it's going to have chemistry and biology treated on the seed. Uh, we see the ROI on seed treatments is as big as anything. For us, it's as big as adding fertilizer. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You know, when you think about uh, where you farm, Lee, kind of in the, the southern uh, tier of South Dakota along the Nebraska border, uh, you're probably more often to get dry than wet. But here we go. We got a wet year this year. Are you seeing different things than what you would have normally expected in your wheat crop? We can see, uh, you know, uh, a shift in different seedling diseases. But yet <laughs> there's always going to be disease pressure. So we know we have to have treated seed. Uh, in real dry conditions, extremely dry conditions, we can run into the risk of crown root rot. And that, so we have to have a good, you know, package on our seed to fend off against that. We get into wet conditions, then the pendulum swings to a different set of diseases. But regardless, we're always going to have some seedling disease pressure so we know we have to protect against that now you guys aren't normally a, a wheat on wheat kind of farm but what what difference do you see with crop rotation that, that you're doing with soybeans with corn and other things we like breaking up for rotation for us uh, even for uh, regulating our, our moisture so we like to break it up to kind of spread out that rotation it's not just for disease we do a little bit of wheat on wheat We'll do two years. That's as far as we go. Uh, so it's not just continuous wheat. But uh, even when you go just two years, you open yourself up to a new set of issues with disease. So that's where it's even more critical, we've noticed, in the second year of wheat versus the first year. All right. You mentioned uh, using a complete seed treatment package. I know you've done a lot of work with some of the, the biological or natural type products. And I, I remember... Gosh, back 20 years ago, Dad was always nervous about that kind of stuff. He's like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if it's really going to do what they say it's going to do, and, and I'm worried that it might just be, in his terms, foo-foo dust, that it was uh, just all a sales pitch. But uh, I know you've done some research work with, with our research team as well out on your farm. What are you seeing with some of these microbial products, and, and uh, what kind of difference are you seeing? Uh, they've evolved like everything else in the ag industry with uh, science and technology. They've been able to identify different species and what they can do for you. Over our almost 25-year journey with biologicals, we've seen that evolve in a lot of these newer products. Uh, there are some that really stand out. They have a broad spectrum of species out there, of microbes. They can do a lot of good for us. In chemistry or biology, they're both doing the same thing. They, they can actually complement each other because really the end goal is the same. You want to start your crop out great. You want to push root growth. You want to be utilizing nutrients in the soil. And we can do that when we layer them both. We, get a bet, we always get a yield pop when we put chemistry and biology together. They always complement each other. Been talking with Lee Farms in South Dakota. Lee, thank you so much. Really appreciate everything today, and good luck to you here the rest of the growing season. Thank you. Stay tuned. We're talking wheat seed treatments, and we'll be right back after this. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. 
Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Graze on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze on Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstars.com to learn more about Graze on Next. Always read and follow label directions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding Agro Liquid Fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the in-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Welcome back and listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about wheat seed treatments and certainly a lot of decisions to make as you're going to put a wheat crop in. But one that we think is really critical is wheat seed treatments. We wanted to bring that up on today's program. Let's head out to Colorado. We got Mark with us. Mark, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you today? We're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. What uh, what are crops looking like in your area right now? Uh, late, just like I'm sure everywhere else. Uh, we, we're probably two to three weeks late on the corn. Our our wheat harvest is just concluding, and we still have quite a bit of barley to, to wade through. So I would say on average uh, things are two to three weeks late, but uh, the crop is good. It's uh, one of the better wheat crops we've had, and, and the corn looks to be pretty strong too. Okay, now when you say the wheat is good, uh, does that mean good protein? Does that mean good yield? Does that mean both? What What is good this year? On the dry line in particular, the yields have been excellent, but I think we lost a little bit of our nitrogen with all the rainfall that we've had this spring.
offering and, and so our protein contents are a little bit lower, but on the irrigated, especially under pivot, we've probably harvested the best crop we've ever had and uh, proteins uh, are good at 12 and a half, 13, 13 and a half. So for us in Eastern Colorado, that's a pretty good crop. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So, so talk to me about this. If you've got irrigated ground and you've got dry land ground, obviously you got some different challenges there. Uh, do you use the seat treatment in both situations? And if so, is it the same thing or is it something different? We do use the seed uh, applied technology on all of our wheat seed. And, and, uh, I, and here's why we, we've done a number of trials on our farm over time and and some years we see only a one, maybe two bushel yield gain, which probably barely covers the cost of the, the treatment itself. But in those years where a seed treatment worked really, really well, we see yield gains of maybe five, six, seven bushel per acre. Uh, we see our smuts almost go to zero. Uh, we seem to be able to control a lot of our, well, maybe control a little strong, but at least suppress a lot of our wireworm in the fall. And we and we just, for those reasons, put a seed applied technology on. We just don't know what next year is going to hold. So for us, it's pretty cheap insurance. You know, you mentioned the wireworms, and this pressure is just getting worse and worse out there, it seems, especially where we're doing reduced tillage. And I'm not against reduced tillage. I'm absolutely for it. It's just this is one of those things that we've got to fight uh, that, that kind of comes along with it is, is more insects attacking things. What do you think on this, this wireworm issue? Are we going to have to do some insecticide out there at the same time if we're going to ever get past this? I think we're going to have to. We use Cruiser Max Vibrance on our farm, and it does a good job of at least suppressing the wireworm. But we're always looking for another alternative, and it's really frustrating to walk out into a field and see that you have wireworm, and there's little or nothing that you can do after the crop has emerged. And so we're trying to be a little bit more proactive, make sure that we've got something out there up front uh, just to kind of protect us a little bit more for those simple reasons. As I said before, we, we just don't know what kind of year we're going to have. And we try to just take a little risk off the table by putting on a, a good beet seed treatment in the fall. How about on barley? Do you do the same kinds of things on barley that you're doing in wheat? We do. We do. Uh, all of our barley is spring-seeded barley. And so we continue to use a Cruiser Max Vibrance product over the top. We we do a little bit of micronutrients on the seed as well, but we've probably seen the, the best response in the spring-seeded crop more so than in the fall-seeded crop. In the on-farm trials that we've done before, we've seen predicted uh, yield gains of maybe four or five bushel, but just overall plant health, and, and that's what we really are looking for. All right. Now, crop rotation, you, you mentioned a few different crops here. Uh, I know there's some sugar beets growing in your area, too. Do you see any issues coming out of certain crops? So you say, oh, man, if I'm following this crop, I really got to watch it. Yeah, we have quite a bit of uh, sugar beets in our rotation. That's where we'll rotate the barley in behind. Uh, we rotate our wheat in behind silage corn once it comes off in the fall. Um, maybe not so much on, on the seed-borne side of things, but certainly from a, a weed pressure standpoint, we do a lot of things to manage around uh, some of those things we might see coming through a natural rotation. You know, you mentioned the, the weed control, and I think this kind of comes into play too, and we've got a lot of cover out there for for insects, or if you've got a lot of weed pressure, uh, we, we typically have more issues. Are, what are you doing going into your wheat crop in the fall? Do you like to use Sharpen? Do you like to use Prepare or Olympus? Uh, has there been kind of a go-to for, for getting that weed control off to a good start? Uh, 
especially in our dryland acres, we really like to go to the field with prepare. That just gives us a little bit more control, especially on the pre-emergent side uh, for some of those flushes that we get from time to time. Uh, one of the more exciting tools that we've been able to incorporate into our rotation more recently is the Axigen gene. It's a coaxium wheat production system to help uh, control feral rye, uh, downy brome, and some jointed uh, goat grass. And uh, that's kind of the newest thing that's kind of hit our farm here in the last year for some of more of those problematic acres. Yeah, there's always new things out there, and, and you just have to keep going. I, it, so often we get into this rut that it's, oh, this is how I do it, and this is what I did last time, and I do the same thing. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. We've got to be looking at what are my new alternatives, what are what are better ways or cheaper ways or different ways to solve the same problems. And, you know, we look at these seed treatments. They've changed a lot. We're, we've been talking about wheat seed treatments today. Uh, earlier we were just talking about, hey, you can even boost the cruiser going into the Cruiser Max Vibrance, and the same thing would be true with other insecticides uh, in the seed treatment uh, products that are out there on the market today. But I, I'm with you. Back to the back to the wireworm thing. I think we, gosh, I'm just looking for that that next thing that we can do to try to knock these guys out. Because really, honestly, good suppression is about the best we can hope for in the heavy pressure areas, uh, at least from the farmers I talk to. Yes, for sure. You know, we, we used to have the problems with the Russian wheat aphids years ago. Uh, we are starting to see that and softfly pressures become probably the biggest two insects uh, that we have to deal with, wireworm and softfly. And, and I would say it's on the same kind of level of, of pressure as what we had with Russian wheat aphids, say, 10, 15 years ago. What are you doing for softfly? Are you doing any foliar treatments? Have you found any kind of seed treatment thing that's working? Are you doing any research on this? We are. Uh, the long story short, we haven't found anything uh, Insecticide-wise, that's doing anything to control the softfly pressure. Uh, we're moving to a little bit more tillage on some of the, the boundaries of our farm to try to kind of break up some of that uh, old stubble from a year ago so that we don't have as, as quite the environment for uh, egg laying to take place. Uh, and then we're moving to semi-solid and solid stem varieties where the pressures are the greatest. But right now we found nothing in, in the chemistry side that's slowing down the softfly at all. Yeah, we're starting to see um, more of these kinds of bugs. We've got one now attacking soybeans in, in our geography where it's uh, the same kind of thing, a little fly laying eggs inside the stem. And, man, we, we just have such a, a wide window to try to stop these flies. It's been a challenge. And, yeah, wheat stem soft fly, that's probably a whole other topic. I wish we had more answers for that, but we just don't. Uh, I've been talking to Mark out in Colorado. Sounds like the wheat crop was great, Mark. Really Really glad to hear that for you guys, and hopefully uh, hopefully the other crops turn out well the rest of the summer here, too. Well, thank you very much, and it was uh, good uh, joining you here today. You bet. Thanks, Mark. Talking wheat seed treatments on our show today, and as, as you heard just in a little discussion with Mark, there aren't perfect answers to every problem out there. But, you know, Brian, wheat seed treatments can really help us on a lot of these things in terms of at least suppressing the wireworms enough that, that we can still have a successful crop. Yeah, and I mentioned it earlier in the show, but you can change the rate on that insecticide. There's a low rate, there's a high rate, and it just depends on what you feel is going to be your pressure. And, you know, the whole problem with seed treatments is you are, in effect, gambling. And you don't know that it's going to pay. So that's why you've got to look at, well, what kind of history do I have? What kind of issues are other farmers in my area having? 
is that disease, do I think, going to be present? Do I have the type of weather, the type of soil that I am more likely to have this or that issue? And so this is one of the things, too, as we've gotten more options now, and that's why I said earlier, multiple fungicides, use an insecticide, use some, try some biological products. If you've got a few different things out there, you really only need one of them to hit, and that seed treatment's going to pay for itself. Whereas back in the old days, if all you did was one fungicide, well, if you didn't have those specific diseases that fungicide controlled, you were in trouble. All right, well, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra Herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Avoid the V-shaped pattern of injury caused by chemical buildup in your booms. The Express end cap from Hypro eliminates the dead ends that lead to herbicide buildup and provides easy access to your booms, giving a complete flush between applications. Hypro, helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren live in the Morton studio. 
Well, next on the show, we've got our good friend, Scott Harms. He is with Grain PhD in Archer Financial Services. Uh, Scott, how are you doing today? Very good. Good afternoon, Brian. All right. We wanted to talk just a little bit about the grain markets because I got to be honest, Scott, I'm not real happy as a farmer who sees all these prevent plant acres around and drown out spots and, I mean, just lots of issues. Crops delayed. I'm worried about an early frost. Yet the markets are going down. So what's going on? I assume things haven't been turning out so well with China. Yeah, the uh, China trade negotiations really have been taking kind of the forefront here the last week or so. Hopefully we'll get into the production concerns as we get closer to the August report, shift that focus back that direction, and that should mean um, hopefully some better prices. But, yeah, the uh, China trade talks, we had some high-level meetings last week, but uh, as we started the week um, and as the week went on, they left with really no uh, developments whatsoever. They had a few extra hang-ups uh, on uh, the uh, fentanyl drug that uh, China has refused to stop uh, the block the uh, flow of that into the U.S. that became kind of a new sticking point. Uh, so uh, we, we were already reeling as the week went on with farmer sales. I think at the end of the month we had funds bailing out of long positions. So we were already weaker going into the middle of uh, uh, the week, but then on Thursday uh, the, uh, President Trump announced another 10% of tariffs on new uh, goods from China, and that just sent the market reeling again, and we saw pressure at the end of last week. And as we started this week, uh, you know, we have uh, China retaliating, talking about how they're not going to, they've instructed people, their their companies not to buy U.S. goods. Uh, this was at a time when we were thinking that they were very close to buying some uh, goodwill uh, U.S. grain, and, and that just didn't happen. So, the market started off negatively, and then we had uh, stock market under pressure as well. So just, it really seems we're at a point where in these Chinese negotiations have been going on for, uh, what, 15 months or so. Uh, it seems that we're at the worst point we have been. It seems hard to believe, but uh, hopefully that means that uh, it's the darkest before the dawn, and, and we can maybe get some movement here uh, here shortly, but uh, not a lot of positive news on that uh, on that front. So I mentioned prevent plant acres earlier. I mean, by this point, the government surely should know what farmers have turned in for prevent plant acres because those farmers would like to collect their insurance. So why don't I feel like we have a good handle on that just as farmers out here and, and as traders? Yeah, I wish I could had. I wish I had the answer for that. Um, I think a lot of people have that same question in this day and age with uh, technology the way it is. When you right. compile that data in the middle of July, why isn't it available? Not only immediately, but why isn't it complete by the time the August production report comes out or mid-August? Right. Traditionally, what happens is we get the information leaked out each month. Is a little we get more advanced information middle of August. They'll come out with prevent plant data. They'll come out again in September with updated numbers. And then finally, by October, we have a pretty good handle. Well, this year, they are going to release that information on uh, next Monday. It's going to be part of that data dump. So I don't know if it's going to be different this year or not. I, I share your frustration. Uh, the market shares your frustration. Uh, you would think that information would be a lot red more readily available. We've heard some comments from the RMA um, regarding the insurance claims, but that doesn't necessarily that doesn't give us a prevent plant number that we can plug into balance sheets and try to determine what a price expectancy. But uh, hopefully we'll have more information on Monday on that. Maybe it'll be a little different this year. 
but uh, no question, that's a big concern. All right. So with that uncertainty going into Monday, what do you suggest? So if you're a farmer and you say, boy, I, I'm really worried about my marketing plan, what what can a guy do? Well, at these price levels, we're not really that interested in making aggressive sales. Yeah. Uh, if you are if you're a producer in the Western Corn Belt and you know that you're very you know you're confident that you're going to have a sizable crop, you can be a little more aggressive. But uh, we're going to stay on the sidelines. The midpoint of the recent range, if you take corn from the recent lows to the highs at 473 basis D's corn, that would be around 435. Um, many times we go into these reports at we try to go back into these reports at around midpoint. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to get to 435 by Monday, but that would be the price level where we'd start to expand sales, scale into a program. And by now, hopefully, as a producer, you have a little better idea what you're going to produce. You can still take 80% of that, but put it in a plan and start scaling into sales, either in the cash market or futures market with option strategies, uh, beginning at 435 onward. Uh, in the soybeans, uh, the midpoint from the high to low, uh, I think it's around nine oh one, nine dollars. I think that's a little premature to start. I want to be a little more optimistic there because I think that although we've the focus has been on corn production and their their concerns, I don't know that we fully factored in or have um, a, an ample concern in prices for what uh, the soybean conditions are and and the height of the beans and their ability to you know reproduce here. So. I would probably start a little closer to 920, but the same kind of thing. You know, try to calculate what you think you can produce now and plug that into your model, uh, into your spreadsheet, and then just start scaling into hedges probably above 920, either at, uh, in the cash market or the futures market. At these price levels, you know, if, if someone wanted to buy call options um, as a part of a strategy to sell into, to give you that confidence, as market goes up, we're going to be concerned about frost and other things. If that if, if that is going to be deter you from making good sales, then spend five to ten cents on an option that's out of the money, uh, well out of the money that would protect you in case you know the growing season would end. We had, you know, we have uh, you know these options. We have what uh, 30, 35 million acres of corn that's not soaking yet, and um, if you know, 62 days to maturity. We need to get, you know, most of this crop is going to mature after October. If that's a con- going to be a concern for you, then you can reopen the upside with call options. It's kind of like a minimum price contract. When you call your grain elevator and do a minimum price contract, you're selling the cash to them. They're going to buy a call option on your behalf and reopen that upside for you. You can do a synthetic minimum price contract by buying the call option now, selling the cash wherever you want to. You're not priced, you're not... Uh, beholden to one particular facility, then you sell the cash and you've already established your minimum price contract. Synthetically, you've just legged into it as opposed to calling the elevator and locking into that minimum price contract. You mentioned the delay in the crop. That's so, and and I said that earlier too, I'm just worried that things are going to finish. I'm worried about an early frost. Um, I'm worried about yield overall out there. I mean, what's the trade overall thinking at this point in terms of yield? No one knows. <laughs> I mean, this is, it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen a year like this. Be, yep. By now, you can take in normal years. People take. Uh, we've got enough back data. We've got enough historical data, crop conditions, and otherwise, to calculate a yield within probably a you know three to five million, uh, three to five bushel an acre 
margin of error, but it's all over the board. And um, again, as you say, you know, we've got to get the crop to maturity. That's a big issue. But I think also, you know, we're going to be, we're going to see, we've already seen some reports online of, in, I mean, you see pictures of corn and, you know, good growing conditions, or excuse me, good, good ground in Illinois where it's the ears are zippered or you have tip back already. Uh, how is this crop uh, going to mature uh, if it even makes it there? So uh, that uncertainty is, I mean, I think Monday is going to shed some light on um, yield and acres for sure, but it's going to be uh, probably January by the time we really have, a, have a real good handle on it. You know, this is the kind of crop that you probably have to get the combines rolling before you really get a good handle on it. Uh, so the guesses are all over. the wide. There's going to be a wide range of guesses. Uh, there was a new guess out this morning with a low production number. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, what the USDA comes up on Monday, but it's going to be an ever-evolving product. But no one, no one knows. It's just too yeah, much uncertainty. I, yeah, I just think we're going to have potentially a lot of volatility here because of all this uncertainty. So we'll see. All right. Well, again, we've been talking to Scott Harms. He is with Grain PhD. And by the way, if you would like to visit with Scott yourself uh, next Tuesday, that would be August 13th, uh, both Scott and I are going to be speaking over in Princeton, Illinois. We're doing a little hefty field day. Also got a number of high-yield farmers going to be joining us there, like Randy Dowdy and David Hula. Uh, if you're looking for more grain information, just go to grainphd.com. Scott, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Zero. Zilch. Zip. That's the total cases of resistance documented with Manzate ProStick. That's right. Zero. Zilch. Zip. Not all fungicides can say this, but Manzate ProStick from UPL can. This multi-site fungicide not only controls walnut blight, it plays a critical role in delaying the development of resistance, which is why Manzate ProStick is the foundation fungicide in all walnut blight control programs. For a recommendation, contact your PCA. Always read and follow label directions. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding agro-liquid fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar-feeding soybeans can provide the end-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. 
Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We have reached the Ag PhD mailbag time. We've got a ton of emails in at radio at agphd.com. We're going to try to get to and uh, Brian, uh, here's one that's a little bit disturbing. Uh, this this one comes from North Dakota, and it said, we've got a Weed of the Week suggestion for you. And it's always interesting when we get Weed of the Week suggestions because you never know what it's going to be. But uh, she, she writes, we're up in North Dakota. We've got water hemlock, not poison hemlock, which is also really bad, but water hemlock. She said, it's just terrible this year, and we've already had cattle that have died. No one has really come up with any answer of how to deal with it, nor... Does anyone seem to have a clue of how abundant it is? Now, you can't often aerial spray here as it's a water weed, so it concentrates in waterways. The biggest danger is when cattle go in to drink and their weight crushes the roots on water hemlock, and all of a sudden that releases the toxins out of the tuberous roots. Then the cattle drink, and with that toxin in the water, they're dead very quickly. Now, we thought it was marijuana, as the leaves look kind of similar to that, uh, but but it's not. And anyway, just wanted you to raise some awareness about water hemlock. Obviously, once you've seen some, now you start noticing it all over, and it's a, a really dangerous weed. Don't want anyone else to suffer cattle loss as these water holes dry up as the season continues. Hey, thanks for the thanks for the comment about that. That's That's a really good one. And we think yes. about weeds just uh, taking away grasslands or taking away crop growth. That's a big one. But when you've got water hemlock that can actually kill animals, that's pretty dangerous. Because even uh, she'd made a comment in here, too, that they were pulling these weeds out, trying to get rid of them. And uh, <laughs> you don't want to pull them with bare hands. Uh, that's for sure. And you want to make sure you get those roots up. That's going to be a big deal because it's a perennial. Yeah, water hemlock is super poisonous. So you do have to be careful. Now, I, I will say this. You can knock that back pretty well. I mean, there are certainly herbicides. There, there are a few herbicides. Here's the challenge, though, Brian. When it's okay, let's just say it's yep. in a pasture and okay. it's an area that gets really wet. Yeah. If the water's out there, I would like to use Tordon, but you can't use that right around water. Well, wait a second. You can't use that around um, water for like a lake or a river. If it's just 
there's a little puddle there, that's a whole different deal. So it all depends on what kind of water we're talking about. If there are no fish, it's no problem. The deal with Tordon is it's very toxic to fish. So yes, if there are going to be any fish anywhere near it, then obviously you can't use Tordon. Okay, well here's the other thing, is that that over the years, many farmers have used 2,4-D in pasture-type lands. That's been the most common product, and that can work. You can definitely knock it back with 2,4-D. Super high rate, but but you've got to have a high rate because it's a perennial, and you're trying to get down into that root system. And then here's the well, other. Well, thing. wait, wait. Before you move on on the two four D, you got to use it multiple times per year on perennials. So one time isn't going to be enough. You've got to keep hammering it again and again and again and again. If you spray it three times a year for three years at super high rates, you will probably have that stuff virtually eliminated. But glyphosate can work. Triclopyr, that'd be like uh, Remedy Ultra, that can work. And Remedy Ultra doesn't have all the residual that Tordon does. So if you don't want lots of residual, that's a good option. I, I mean, there are ways to control this. It's just you have to be diligent. Okay, here's the other thing, Brian, that I wanted to mention about the 2,4-D. If you spray 2,4-D, what happens is those plants become more palatable for the cattle. So if you do spray water hemlock, you want to fence that off, keep the cattle out of there for at least a few weeks just to make sure that those water hemlock plants go to nothing uh, and completely If you're using a high enough rate, within a few days, they should go just about to nothing. Right, but what I'm saying is if the cattle graze on them, that could still be a bad thing too. So so if you do that, you may have to mow it down or something just just to get those plants out of there so you don't have an issue. But anyway, thank you so much for bringing this one up. That is a, a really important weed that we all should understand a little bit more about. All right, uh, got a question. This one's from Kat. She said, uh, an extra sentence following, we, we were talking about wind and plants. She said, you said wind helps the corn plants get ready and makes those stalks get a little bit stronger. Uh, just just wondering uh, if you would explain that, what actually happens uh, to make that work? Uh, basically, what, what we're talking about is lignin accumulation in those stalks and getting more rigid. Like this year, for example, we had uh, some storms go through the corn belt that either snapped some corn off or, or caused it to lodge. When the plants were a little more fully developed and they had more lignin in that stalk, they were able to tolerate it better. The plants that were just in fast growth and it's you know, just hardly any lignin in there, mostly water in the stalks. Those are the ones that snapped. So that's kind of what we were getting at. And I remember, Brian, uh, we were talking about palm trees somewhere where we were about how the wind helps them. Yeah, but I, I want to come back to what you said there in terms of the lignin. Yep, that's important in getting some wind early to basically help that plant get ready for worse wind later on. I get all that, but I'm still going to, I'm still going to come back to fertility. You got to have great drainage. You got to have a good root development, but fertility is the key. You want great levels of potassium in your plants. If you've been having a lot of lodging issues, I just really encourage you to take a look at your potassium levels, your manganese levels, and your copper levels in the soil. Potassium is obviously number one, but manganese and copper are also very important too. So look at those three nutrients, get them to the high end of the charts instead of being at the low end, and generally speaking, your lodging issues are going to be reduced and your green snap issues typically are going to be reduced. All right. Thanks for the, the comment question there. I uh, got one from Jason. He said, I enjoy watching your show every week. I watch it with my kids. 
we enjoy every minute of your show. We were watching the Weed of the Week this week and realized, boy, you know, it'd be great if you guys had even more time to talk about these weeds so you could get more into what the identifying features are and how to differentiate that from similar looking weeds. Keep up your great show. We really enjoy it. Hey, Jason, thanks for the comment. We appreciate that. Yeah, I wish we had a little more time too. And honestly, Brian, we could probably do a half hour show just called the Weed of the Week and talk about all the weeds that look similar to some of these and and ways that you want to get them under control. Yeah, I would also say we do have the Ag PhD Field Guide app. And if you go to that, we've got identification tips. We also have control tips. So we spent a lot of time putting that app together, and it's basically a compilation of a lot of the things that we've talked about on, uh, on Ag PhD and the Weed of the Week segments, but we've got even more. Right, get a question from John, and John says, I'm, a, I'm an agronomist in Minnesota and always working on controlling weeds in fields, but I got an interesting question from one of my growers. He's got wild cucumber that's growing in his tree groves. Uh, he's got some evergreens out there, which I know are really sensitive to a lot of different herbicides. We found wild cucumber pretty sensitive to uh, a number of different herbicides we're using out in fields and pastures. No problem controlling it there. Just wondering if you've had any luck controlling it in tree groves or in evergreens. I have the exact same issue on my farm. I just go pull it. It takes five minutes to go pull it. There are usually only a few plants out there in the whole shelter belt. So that's usually what I would suggest. That way you don't have to worry about damaging the trees. Yeah, I've heard some guys doing some fall treatments, but not in evergreens. In evergreens, yeah. they're just, boy, any about any herbicide yep. I can think of, we, we see too much uh, issue with that. Well, but in, in pastures, you know, guys can use a lot of different things. Tordon, dicamba, triclopyr, like you mentioned, uh, a bunch of, bunch of different products. Uh, but they seem, wild, well, actually, wild cucumbers seem pretty tolerant to 240. So I, I don't know if we just need to I go at the know. crazy high rate, yes. but it seems like dicamba is a significant upgrade on wild cucumbers. And there's a few yeah. weeds out there that dicamba is better. So we see a lot of guys using distinct, uh, and that would be a, a much better option. But, of course, you can't really safely do that around a lot of trees. All right, thanks for the question, John. We appreciate that one. Uh, we got one here from Levi. And he said, my wife and my father accompanied me to our first Ag PhD field day this year. Uh, my dad was really excited about it, uh, and he makes a comment, you guys are helping making farming great again. Well, I appreciate that comment, Levi. Uh, he said, my question for you is about zinc. Uh, I got to hear Dave Hewlett talk about this, and he was talking about all the different things he tried in furrow for corn, and that zinc was one that really worked. I'm just wondering, what does zinc do for your plant early in the season? Is that a good solution to help me in a cold, wet planting season like we normally have in April? Hey, thanks for the question, Levi. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that are happening with zinc, and we did get a lot of comments about Dave talking about that because I know Dave's putting zinc on in a variety of different placements, uh, trying to, to make sure he gets good zinc uptake. There's a few things. Water uptake and regulation is one that we really watch, especially in dryland farming and, and in the West like where we're at, and Dave's got some dryland on his farm as well. Uh, so that's something that, that we're always curious about. It also aids in plant growth hormone formation and enzyme systems. Protein synthesis is one that Dave talks about a lot, and carbohydrate metabolism too. Thanks for the question. Thanks for coming to our field day, Levi. Really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.